Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Through storytelling, conversational interviews, and Carrie's natural curiosity, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of entrepreneurs, athletes, medical professionals, politicians, and other successful people, all sharing their stories of success and the ups and downs of risk-taking. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. How big of kahunas must a person have to be an NFL referee? Well, today we're going to find out from our guest, Mr. Walt Coleman, who at the time of his retirement in 2018 was the longest running NFL referee in history. This is big money on a big stage with big egos. And your word as the referee is the final word, like it or lump it. The next day, everybody's talking about it, and everybody must live with your decisions. And live with it is what our guest did for 30 years, the guts, the glory, and the criticism. On top of that abnormal career choice, Walt is the fifth generation to run Coleman Dairy in Little Rock, Arkansas. In 2001, his family business was listed in Family Business Magazine as the United States' 75th oldest family-run business having been founded in 1862. In 2007, Coleman Dairy became a division of Highland Dairy. Today, we're going to talk about both sides of the coin, Coleman Dairy, a.k.a. Highland Dairy, and about the National Football League and what it's like to be standing on one of the world's biggest stages making million-dollar decisions. We're going to talk about rules and changes in the game, illegal contact, pass interference, targeting, and defensive holding penalties, and the call that our guest, Mr. Walt Coleman, is most famous for, the tuck rule that he used in the 2002 Super Bowl game. It is with great pleasure I welcome to the table the entrepreneur and retired NFL referee, Mr. Walt Coleman. Hey, Walt. Hi. (laughs) So, (laughs) So you're a nice guy. I thought referees had to be mean. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, sometimes it, uh, helps to be a little, uh, you know, cocky. Yeah, maybe, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we all, it's like anything. We all have different personalities and in, in, in the officiating area, we had all kinds of different personalities as referees, just like you have different personalities as a coaches. Coaches don't all have the same personalities. It doesn't take one particular personality to be successful. Yeah. Some you of can, them, yeah. You, you can look at it. Some of them are r- raving angry. Ra- angry. 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 Yeah. And some of them aren't. Uh, yeah. Andy Reid, they won the Super Bowl. He's very laid back. You know, Tony Dungy, very laid back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bill Cower, uh, you know, he was – so you can – you can be successful with with any type of personality. Same thing as far well, as you, at the refer, you, at the referee position. You have in the a, National a Football nice League. demeanor for a thirty year NFL referee with those enormous guys and enormous egos. But before we get into the games and we start talking about that, we're going to talk about Coleman Dairy. But also, did you sleep before a game? Yes, I slept better before the game than I did after the game. <laughs> that, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah we're going to find out what replay what replay that keeps you up at night is there one is is it the tuck call well that's the that's the call that i'm most known for Mm -hmm. but you know i got it right so you did you know um for me and probably like most people um i remember the ones i messed up Mm -hmm. as opposed to the ones that i got right you know nobody's perfect and you're on such a big stage with such big money at stake and there's nobody that gets everything right 100 percent of the time no we're we're expected to be perfect and get better Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's what's that's what's expected of those guys that wear the striped shirts (laughs) number 65 that's you before we talk about your illustrious nfl career and all the players owners egos and some of the calls you're famous for that i just mentioned let's talk about the coleman dairy business i'm fascinated by the legacy it's so wholesome it's like the flag business coleman dairy milk is a whole goes together with wholesomeness just like flags go together with wholesomeness american pie american pie mm-hmm. yeah you really do think about it. you give me a glass of cold milk and a slice american, of apple pie and an american flag and american flag behind chocolate there chip cookie maybe oh there you go <laughs> uh so you were also coleman dairy was uh had a lot of sports philanthropy going um i think buddy started that yes so uh, you, you think that's why you all have so much business well, I, I, th- I think that that is one of the things that helped us survive 
uh, when all the other family owned businesses were going by the wayside is the um, is our investment in the youth and the sports teams that we sponsored all over the state of Arkansas. You know, it's, it's fun to have somebody come up to me and, and say, you know, I played on a Coleman Dairy uh, Little League team or a Coleman Dairy Pony League team or a Coleman Dairy softball team. And I think our involvement in the community and doing those kind of things across the state made a huge difference in, in people being willing to buy our product as opposed to – because that's what it's about. I mean, you know, if you don't sell anything – there's no way you're going to be able to afford to sponsor teams or do anything. So right. you have to have those those consumers that are willing to pay for your product. So you all, do you think that's why your family has a legacy in football is because of your sponsorships into sports? Well, I, I think it's a combination of things. You know, at our as we merge companies together, if you go way far back, um, a gentleman named Cliff Shaw came came and became part of uh, our company, um, and he was he was a well known college and uh, football and basketball official. He worked in NCAA Final Four. Um, was he, he a mentor of yours? He, he was a mentor. He's a mentor of my dad's. He oh. was a mentor of my uncle Boots's. I mean, he was and he was the salesman and became the sales manager at Coleman Dairy back in the in the fifties. Uh, but but he was a well known official across the country. Um, if you if you're old enough to remember this, there was a play in a Cotton Bowl one year where where a player came off the bench and tackled Dickie Magel when he was running for a touchdown in the Cotton Bowl game. And this player for Alabama came off the bench and tackled him. He was in the open running for a touchdown. And <laughs> Cliff Shaw was the referee in this game. And so he had to make a decision what to do. And he awarded TCU a touchdown on this play, which it wasn't in the rule book. He didn't have the authority to do that, but that's what he did. The next year they put that in the rule book, but it's a famous play as far as, and so he, he was the sales manager of our company and my uncle boots was involved in, in officiating. Then when my, you know, my dad was involved, my dad was involved in all kinds of sports. I mean, he coached two American Legion baseball teams in 57 and 59 that won the state championship. Um, and he was involved in AAU boxing and, and track and so forth. So we've always been involved in sports. And my dad was a, was a high school and college official. He was in the Southwest Conference for oh, 20, really? for 26 years. He was official. So there's a lot of legacies. Official. There's so, a lot of legacies so, in your so family. Yeah, yeah. The, the dairy and the officiating are legacies, um, in the family. So, yeah. so I, I, I followed in two different things as far as the family, family business, as far as the dairy business and the family deal as far as officiating. So, um, but I think all of that sure helped, uh, as far as, uh, your relationship with schools. Yeah. Because it's a lot of, you know, you sell a lot of product to schools. Oh, and so yeah. we have, you know, good relationships with, uh, with, with the schools. And so, so you're, 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 you're great, 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 great. Great. Is that five greats? Grandfather yeah. in 1862 founded Coleman yes. Dairy, fleeing the Civil War. Yes. That's what I read on Wikipedia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he had two milk cows. <laughs> when, <laughs> love that. when I got involved in the business, we didn't have any dairy cows because they had sold, they sold the dairy herd back in the early 40s and they used the money to put in processing equipment to start pasteurizing the uh, milk. And my grandmother said, well, you're getting ready to mess everything up. You're going to screw up the product when you start pasteurizing it. But, but, oh, but, interesting. but, but we got involved at that point in, pa in, in packaging and pasteurizing, processing the product. And so we, so we, and we would buy our, our product from all the local dairy farmers that were in central Arkansas. And there were like 55 or 60 dairy small dairy farms in the central arkansas area back then and are they contract farmers with you like well that's what yes yeah. that's the way it would mm -hmm. have worked back then mm -hmm. now once as it moved on it became they became part of a co-op okay so they they would put all their their milk into the co-op and back then it was called ampi associated milk producers incorporated and so we would buy our milk from we would buy our milk from them. They mm -hmm. were just part of the co-op because, you know, as, as Little Rock grew, all the, all the dairy farms left. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, there weren't any and so And you forth. had to so, pasteurize it to, for 
safety safety reasons, reasons because yes. it's coming from so many different places that you don't know how these guys farm. Well, the, clean the, the problems are things that would be in the milk. As far as I mean, you know, if you go to a dairy, I mean, dairy farm, you, you got to worry about a lot of things. And and What's you know, it's against, it's against the it's against a lot of sell raw milk in the state of Arkansas. It's well, and it's. Um I was going to say culturally it changed. Like the laws were changing and yes. expectations were yes. changing. Yeah. Yes. So uh, so it was something that we started. And obviously that made a huge difference as far as us being able to stay in the business, to, to be a, a processor and to process the milk and, and then package it and distribute it, uh, you know, in and around the state. So. Yeah. Um, so Annie Oakley show. Oh, yeah. That was a big Annie I didn't o- know Annie Oakley was from Arkansas. Yes, Gail Davis. Yes, I did not know that. Yeah, she, she grew t- up over by Pulaski Heights, north of, just north of, Med, of the Med Center up there. She, her um, her house where she grew up was basically right across the street from, from Pulaski Heights. I didn't know that. I yeah. didn't either until yeah. I started reading about it. So TV was brand new. Right. And one of your in-laws, I'm not in-laws, but... Uh, my aunt. Oh, okay. Your my aunt... My aunt it was uh, her idea. T- t- well, my aunt taught her dance, Gail Davis dance. Mm-hmm. And then when she became a big star, they came up with the idea of, you know, when the Annie Oakley show came out, that we would be one of the, we, we would obviously sponsor the show as far as in the central Arkansas area. And she was on the side of our milk cartons. Uh, you know, we had our picture, her picture on the side of the carton. And Louise Lucan, who was our spokesperson person for, Many, many, many years. I mean, everybody thought she was my mother, <laughs> our mother, because I mean, she, she was the face. She was the face of Coleman Dairy. Sure, yeah. She came in uh, my uncle Boots's office. She wasn't and said, "You need me to work for you." Whoa. And she convinced my uncle, my uncle Boots, to hire her for her to. And so she became the the person who, when somebody would move to town, well, she would go greet that person and deliver them and let them have, you know, bring them some Coleman products. And so she was the greeter uh, for Central Arkansas for us. And then she did all the TV advertising. So and she came up with the idea of getting Annie Oakley on t- being your spokesperson. I think she was one. She's the one that the, she. I think she was the one of the ones that came, but helped come up with the idea. So you recently sold your business, or I don't know if you sold it, but you went in partnership with Highland Dairy. It was a merger, and you went from making I don't know twenty gallons a day of milk. I mean, it started off with you know. 200 milk cows to 200 gallons a day. And then it went to, with Coleman Dairy, 35,000 gallons of milk a day, I read online. Well, we're doing 950,000 a week now. Oh, my gosh. That's about, yeah, that's just crazy to think about. So is it a merger or did you? did you- No, we, we actually sold. You know, we were in the same situation as most family dairy operations back then. The equipment is so expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to have refrigerated trucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, our product has got to be refrigerated, and and the processing facilities, the equipment, and the plant, and all it very expensive, and it got to the point where we just didn't have the cap capable capital to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So we looked for some place to go where we could continue what out of the way we wanted to do business and protect our employees. Mm-hmm. Yes, and which was very important to us because they're the ones that made us successful. I mean, without the and we were a family business, and we had all, all kinds of family people. I mean, second, third generation people who were working for us. I mean, you know, uh, you know, ne- ne- I know a lot of companies have nepotism laws, and and I, I don't believe in nepotism laws. But you know, when you sell to somebody and that's what they have, then you have to deal with it. But anyway. So in 1995 is when we initially sold the first time to our dairy cooperative because oh. they need they needed they needed some place to go with their milk and so that we became part of them in in 95 so we were part of the co-op for three years and then the co-op sold and merged and the federal government forced them to get rid of us because of antitrust reasons so we became part of a holding company with the Turners in Memphis they had a plant in Memphis and Fulton. Uh, in Covington, Tennessee, and then our plant in Little Rock, and then they bought the what used to be the Affiliated Foods plant out there on I-30. So we had two plants here in Little Rock, our old plant there on Asher at Asher University, and then the Highland plant, or I mean the the uh, Affiliated Foods plant that was on I-30. And so we so we had two plants, and it it was obvious that we needed to do something obvious we needed to merge we needed to have one plant to do the affiliate plant rent put everything in a cardboard box and shipped it out to warehouses 
our plant, put it in a milk crate, the things that you, you see on the back of motorcycles and oh, yeah, yeah, everything, yeah, you know, yeah. bookshelves, they're very handy for other things sure. other than yeah. hauling milk around. Yeah. Anyway, and we put all, we put all our product in that. And that's how we delivered schools, nursing homes, restaurants, all that would go in those. So we put the two plants together where we could do both. Oh. Where we could do cardboard boxes and milk crates, and the plant on I thirty was a lot newer. It was built in nineteen eighty, where our plant was built in nineteen thirty, and it you know it had all the issues that you would think something that was built that long ago had. In two thousand, we moved uh, everything. We shut the plant down over on Asher and moved out to I thirty. And we're gonna put a flagpole out there so y'all so, can all see it. We're so. gonna put a Coleman Dairy custom <laughs> Love that. flag Love on that. it. All right, this is a great place to take a break. We're speaking today with Mr. Walt Coleman, a man with two illustrious careers. He's a Coleman Dairy legacy and at the time of his retirement in 2018, the longest running NFL referee in history. Still to come, rule changes in the game. How much subjectivity is there in a call? And since he was once in the business of games, I've got a game to play with Walt when we come right back. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 1995, she embraced the internet and rebranded her company as simply flagandbanner.com. In 2004, she became an early blogger. Since then, she has founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, began publishing her magazine, Brave, and in 2016, branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcast. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired OurCornerMarket.com, an online company specializing in American-made plaques, signage, and memorials for over 20 years, and, in 2021, opened a satellite office in Miami, Florida. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags, theflagandbanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. Thank you. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Mr. Walt Coleman III. NFL referee wearing number 65 from 1989 to 2018 and the fifth generation owner operator of Coleman Dairy, now called Highland Dairy. Now we're going to talk about your journey. You began officiating in high school football games. Where did you begin officiating? There were three people in our company that were officials, Cliff Shaw, my uncle Boots, and my dad. All three of them were, were officials in officiating. Now my uncle stopped because they, required him to work Arkansas games. And he said he wasn't going to do that because one bad call, you lose all your business. So, <gasps> Oh, you mean your Coleman Dairy business? Yes. Oh, smart. <laughs> and and my, my dad, my dad continued to officiate and they uh, had the rule that um, in the Southwest conference that uh, Arkansas officials wouldn't work Arkansas games. So my dad's career in the Southwest conference, he did not have to work an Arkansas game until at the end of his career when Coach Holtz raised um, heck about the fact that all the officials working his games were from Texas because they were, oh. either, from, they were either from Texas or Arkansas because that's where all the teams and, were from. And, so it was fair because an A&M graduate is not going to favor a Texas Longhorn. you know. And also what that, what that says is he's accusing mm-hmm. officials of being biased, of not having the integrity to yeah. do what's right. Uh, and that was that's a not typical – that's a typical um, – comment that comes from uh coaches so then you began refereeing when you got out of college how long before yes. you decided to start refereeing well i got i, I started immediately when oh. i when i got out of college in 74 um that fall i signed up and started officiating um football games in were you the line judge or were you referee no i was a line judge I, you know referee's the guy that's got to know the rules is, yeah. is you know is the leader of the crew and so forth so when you first start out you know that's the last place they're going to put you so i started off as a headlinesman or a line judge which are the guys that are on the line of scrimmage and do forward progress and so forth so i started that working junior high games at scott field and i got some high i did get to work some high school games my first year because um you know, dad knew people that gave me the opportunity and were willing to work with me with their crew. And so, you know, I've got to work some some high school games. My very first high school game was Mountain Pine at Mount Ida. Everybody has to start somewhere. You, you start and you learn. And as you learn and you move up, and that's the way it worked with me. I started so how, doing how, high school games. And then I applied to small a small college and I, I applied for the Southland Conference. 
And uh, I got in the Southern Conference in seventy in nineteen in seventy nine seventy nine eighty one eighty two in set nineteen seventy nine. So in seventy nine I got in the South, and that was a conference back then that Arkansas State was in. Mm. Arkansas State, Louisiana Tech, uh, Northeast Louisiana, um, North Texas, Lamar, uh, McNeese. That was that conference. And um, so I started working in those, but I was still working. I'd work a high school game on Friday night. Then I would drive to my college game on Saturday. And then you'd come home and, and get divorced. And then I'd divorced. come home. And I, then I'd come home. No, I still have the same wife. I mean, she, <laughs> she's put, be a hard job she's put up a with, let me put, she's put up with a lot. In 1982, I had a high school game uh, in Cabot on a Friday night. And then I had a college game in Lafayette, Louisiana on Saturday. So I was working the high school game Friday night at Cabot, and I was going to drive, I was driving to El Dorado Friday night, spending the night and driving the rest of the way to Lafayette. Well, my wife was pregnant. Mm. Oh boy. Uh-oh. And the doctor said, well, she wasn't going to have, you know, have the baby. And so, so Cynthia said, you know, go work your game. So I went and worked my game, and guess what? Oh man, you had a bouncing baby boy, but no daughter. So when I, by the time when I came back through Little Rock from Cabot, heading to uh, El Dorado, you know, I, you know, I had got, I, we didn't have cell phones back then. Oh, yeah. you know, no, you know, so I stopped, and my youngest brother said, "Oh, well, you're in trouble. Oh my, you better God. go to the hospital." So I go to the hospital, and she's she's had our. She's had our daughter, and, you know, I got to see her and so forth. And then I went and got in the car. And drove to Lafayette. And I drove to El Dorado to spend the night, and then I went on to Lafayette on Saturday. So I'm still trying to live that down. Yeah, Um, I'm mad just sitting over here. Yeah, but you can see on your face. (laughs) But, you know, but unfortunately, you know, those are the. You know, those are the things when you're it's it was like having two jobs. I mean, that's what it was. It was it was two jobs. You worked your regular job Monday through Friday. And then at that time, because I was trying to get experience. I mean, I needed games. The more games you work, the better you get. It's like anything. And so working on a Friday night. Now, once I got into the Southwest Conference, which I got in the Southwest Conference in 1984, they didn't they didn't allow you to work. They didn't let you work on Friday nights. You had to be at the game site, you know, on Friday. Oh, to get so, ready. To get ready. So so that eliminated that issue. Because for everybody that doesn't know, college games are on Saturdays. Yes, yes. So how did you get in the NFL? Well, it's an interesting story because uh, all I ever wanted to do was work college football. That's what my dad did. I mean, he worked college football. He worked the, you know, the Cotton Bowl and the Orange Bowl and the, and the Sugar Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. And I, I just wanted to work college football and, and, and work bowl games like my dad. Well, but because of Coach Holtz, they forced Arkansas officials to start having to work Arkansas games. So when I got in the league in the Southwest Conference, not only was I working Arkansas games, my dad was, and it was it looks bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it looks bad, but they changed. Talk the about rules. nepotism. Yeah, there. they, they, right they there. changed the rules. I mean, Arkansas officials, even graduates of Arkansas, could work. Arkansas game, graduate of Texas could work Texas game. Graduate of Texas A&M could work A&M games. They totally changed the rules. And they also brought some officials in from other states, which they had never done. Which I so, can't tell if you liked that they changed it or that you didn't like that they changed it. I didn't think they should have changed it. I think they should have left it like it was. Okay. But if they hadn't changed it, I might not be in the NFL. Well, there you go. Because the reason I applied to the NFL was because I didn't want to be working Arkansas football games. And I didn't have any other options because back then in the officiating world, you had to live in a state where the school was. So in order to work in the SEC, you had to live in Florida or Mississippi or Alabama or Georgia or, you know, where where the schools. And so in the Southwest Conference, in order to work in the Southwest Conference, you had to live in either Texas or Oklahoma. That's the way it worked. No, Oklahoma was in the Big 12 or Big 8. They were in the Big 8. So my only option if I didn't want to work in the Southwest Conference, was to go back and work in the South and where Arkansas State was, or not officiate, or, as my dad said, Walt, apply, apply to the NFL. Okay, and you did. And I said, well, you know, there's never been an official from Arkansas in the NFL. Why should I apply? I'll never get in. He said, typical sales guy, my mm-hmm, dad, mm-hmm. all they can say is no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I said, uh, doesn't hurt to ask. Anyway, so so I applied to the NFL, and um, it took a it took a couple of years. Uh, and Doyle Jackson from Conway got in the year before I did, so he was the first Arkansas official to get in. And uh, then I got in the next season uh, in 1989, and then Doyle decided he didn't like it. He didn't like all this travel. I mean, it was you know, and because you're gone and so forth. So he he retired. He, he he resigned after two after two seasons. He just didn't like it. So then I became the only Arkansas Arkansas official. So that's how. I, so in 1989. There I was uh, in the National Talk Football League. Talk about the first League. day you walked on the field. Line judge again, I guess? Yes, I was a line judge my first year in the NFL. And Only one year? W- no, I was line judge for six. Okay. I was and line so judge for six seasons, then I became the referee. Talk about walking on the field the first time for an NFL game and where it was. Now, you know, in the NFL, we have preseason games. Yeah. So they were, you know, like practice games, which was great. I needed the practice games. So my very first practice game that I had was in San Francisco. They send me to San Francisco. Now, they put you in teams. They put you with the veteran guys. So you go on to a, a team with guys that have worked Super Bowls, that have worked, and and you're going to work whatever games they work. And you stay together in that And in you that stay pod. in that group for the whole season. Okay. All for right. a whole season. You get to know each other. You get to know each other. You, you learn who's strong. I mean, yeah, all the weakness right. and so forth. Yeah. But you work with the same guys. But that means if, if that team is working a Monday night football game, well, you're going to be thrown out there in your first year as working a Monday night football game. So anyway, so the first game, preseason game, I go to San Francisco. It's the Oakland Raiders playing the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers won the Super Bowl the year before. Super Bowl champs from the year before. Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and all those guys was on the team. So I walk out on the field in Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Obviously, I'd never been there. No. Uh, Didn't know any of these people. I didn't know a soul. So we walk out on the field before the game for warm-ups. And uh, I'm obviously uh, somewhat nervous, <laughs> um, <Sure>. and, <laughs> to say the least. And so I'm walking up the sideline of the of the Raiders, where the Raiders bench is, and there's this guy standing there watching warmups, and he's got on he's got on a white shirt, white belt, white pants, white socks, and white and white shoes. Anybody that follows the NFL is going to know who this was, but anyway, I recognize him as being Al Davis, owner and general manager of the of the Raiders. And so anyway, so he's standing there and I know who he is, but I'm just this first year guy from AR and I don't want to have anything to do with him. So I'm just going to walk on down the sideline, you know, like I'm supposed to. Well, when I get there close to him, he turns and sticks out his hand and he says, hi, Walt, how you doing? You know, I'm so flabbergasted. I don't even respond. I say (laughs) nothing. I was going to say, were you starstruck? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was just, I mean, the fact that he knew my name. That, and, and then when I didn't say anything, he says, well, Walt, tell me, how's Cynthia? How's Walter and Courtney? Oh, he is Whoa. a salesperson, isn't he? And so I, I didn't have a response to that either. <laughs> I just kept walking. And, you know, he probably sitting there thinking, well, I knew the guy was blind, but they found one that's deaf too, you know. <laughs> but But the greatest thing about that. It's what it showed me. I mean, it hit me right in the face. I hadn't even worked a game yet. It showed me, you know, what what it takes to be successful in the National Football League. It takes preparation. It takes hard work. Look, this is the owner and general manager of the Oakland Raiders, and he is he's taking enough time or he's got somebody to find out what the name of this first-year official is, the name of his family. So if he has the opportunity to use it, he could. I want to talk about rules of the game, and I'm bored with the tuck rule. Everything online about you is the tuck rule. Quickly tell our people what the tuck rule is. But I want to talk about some other some other calls that I think are really hard to call, like pass interference. I can't tell if it's pass interference. Holding, is it holding? Targeting? I mean, those are tough ones for me sitting at home on my couch and watching TV and going, well, I don't know. How does the guy do it? But tell our listeners what you, the, the call you're most famous for, which is the tuck rule. Well, the reason that... That, that this tuck rule is so famous and people want to continue to talk about it is because what happened after right. my call. And, you know, it was a divisional playoff game in New England in a driving snowstorm in a blizzard, and I'm the referee of the game, and Oakland is at New England, and Oakland is ahead 13-10, to 10, and we're inside of two minutes of the game. Now, it's a blizzard, 
They can't, you know, it's been, it's only thir- it's 13 to 10, so nobody can score because the conditions were just horrible. Right. It snowed like 12 inches during the game. It was, it was it just crazy. It looks like a whiteout when yes. you look at it online. Right. It is. It is. It is and a so, whiteout. I can't believe they let the game go on, actually. Well, they don't call football games for anything but lightning. Well, lightning is oh. it can rain it can rain buckets, but if as long as it's not lightning, they're going to you're going to play football. So anyway, with uh, less than a, less than two minutes in the game, and New England gets the ball on the forty yard line with no timeouts left, behind thirteen to ten, and so they've got to they've got to try to drive down there and you know get a field goal or a touchdown. And on the very first play, on first and ten, Brady drops back to pass. He starts to throw the ball, but he brings it down. He changes his mind as he brings it down. Charles Woodson hits him. The ball comes loose. And Oakland recovers it. The game's over. It's a fumble. They New England can't stop the clock, so the game's over. Oakland wins the game. Well, uh, we have obviously we have replay, and so the replay official up in the booth called down and told me to stop the game. Uh, it doesn't work like it does now. The way replay is, I mean, it, it was all it was all me. It was all the referee back then. Oh, so so I go over to the replay monitor to take a look at this play, and. Um, my replay guy says, um, Walt, this is the game. And uh, I said, yeah, I've kind of figured that. So anyway, but when I saw the play, I was behind the play. Because that's where I lined up is behind the quarterback, about 15 yards deep behind the defense. And when Brady started to bring the ball down, he turned his body. And then Woodson, the two of them screened me out of exactly what happened. And back then... If you have a question between whether it's a fumble or whether it's a forward pass, you always rule fumble because you can always you can always change it. You oh. can change it from a fumble to an incomplete pass. Yeah. But if you rule incomplete, oh, you don't get to do the you, review. You, you can't change it oh. back then. Now you can now. Okay. But back then you can't. So if you ruled it an incomplete pass, the ball is dead. The play's over, and so so. So since I didn't have a clear view, I rule fumble. Sure. And I get you know gave the ball Oakland can- to win the game. But with replay, I got to see the shot from the front. It clearly showed that when Brady got hit, he was bringing the ball down, and that's why it's called a tuck rule. You have to back then you had to tuck the ball against your body, and then if it came out, it would be a fumble. Oh, but I he never got that the, he never got the ball he never got the ball tucked back. He, he was he, still in a forward start, pass. Mo- forward pass motion. So that's why they that's why they call it the tuck rule because he had to tuck it back to make he, it a fumble to make it a fumble, which he didn't do. So now there I am looking at this. It's my call. I mean, I ruled it a fumble. So now I've got to decide: Am I going to change my call? Now, at the time, all the announcers said it was a fumble on the broadcast. They said, there's no way that you're going to change this. It's a fumble. I mean, it looked like a fumble. Right. I mean, everybody thought it was a fumble. My wife thought it was a fumble. <laughs> I mean, you know, but I knew the rule. But you got to follow the rules. And, and you have to do what's right. You have to have the guts and intestinal fortitude to do what's right. So I, I said, I told the replay guy, I said, this is not a fumble. This is an incomplete pass. He said, I, I agree. We need to change it. So I came out, made the announcement. We gave the ball Back to Brady. We got the ball back to Brady. Second down, back still on the 40. Two minutes left. And, and the rest is history. Drives him down. Adam Vinatieri kicks a 48-yard field goal in a blizzard. So tied the game. Game went into overtime. We're in overtime. Vinatieri kicks a field goal. And that was win, that. Wins the game 16-13. to 13. Then everybody said, I mean, the, the huge controversy. I mean, everybody said I shouldn't have changed it. I mean, it was just a big mess. It was just unbelievable. Oh, and, but everybody said it would go away because they New England had to go to Pittsburgh the next week to play Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game. Oh, and they would have. Yeah. And they said, they're not going to beat Pittsburgh. Well, guess what? They went to Pittsburgh. They beat Pittsburgh. Then everybody says, well, they got to, they're going to have to play St. Louis in the Super Bowl. And that's when St. Louis had that great team with – with Kurt Warner and the, I mean that that offense and so forth and say oh they're gonna lose well guess what they went and they won the Super Bowl I never worked the Raiders again I bet sure I yeah. mean the rest of my career I never had a, a Oakland uh, Raider game well, they didn't want you to get shot probably you know so <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some other rules real quick before we go to break um, how about pass interference well, it's hard that one it's is judgment. really hard it's judgment it's it's hard in college. You know, it's just a 15-yard penalty or a spot foul, whichever. It'll never be more than 15 yards. Yeah. You know, if the pass interference is six yards, it'll be at six yards. If it's 30 yards, it's going to be at 15. Where in the NFL, it's a spot foul. And a lot of people say, oh. well, that a lot of people say, well, 
they ought to just make in the NFL make the penalty a 15 yard penalty because it's it's uh, too hard. You know, it, it's too much as far as a, a 30, 30 yeah. yard penalty. 30. It but could the be problem a Hail is, Mary and then yeah, but the problem yeah. is the NFL de- defensive players are so talented. Yeah, God you'd never are. complete. You'd never complete a pass because if you get beat at twenty, they're going to just tackle the guy because they know it's only going to be a fifteen yard penalty. Oh, I mean, th- th- those guys yeah, are those yeah. guys are so good. Yeah, th- th- those athletes are just so so unbelievable. How the, do you uh, handle the stress and the criticism and stuff? Can you compartmentalize it? Sure, you can. Yeah, I mean, it's well, it's your job. We all have stress. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, you have stress. You mm-hmm. know, worrying about you know what's going on at at, at Flag and Banner. I mean, we, we all yeah. have stress. And, but but you know, if you're if you're focused on what you're doing, if you're concentrated on, on that kind of stuff, you know, while it's going, you know, it, it the, the stress for me was more before. You know, before the game. Me too. You Once know, I'm and, in the fight, I'm ready to go. Right. I am a, I am yeah. a fight. So I'm the, I'm you ready. Wanna, you want to, and, and to me, the more prepared you are. The better you feel. The better you feel. And it's the same thing. And, and it's where if you're taking a test, I mean, you know, if you think you're prepared, to me, you're going to do better. So, so that was the whole deal is making sure that your preparation. And that was something that was very important to me as the crew chief, the one that's responsible for, for all the other guys on your team and so forth. Is there a lot of preparation? Do you have to yes. know a lot about, oh, really? You have to yes. know a lot about the other team? Well, it's, it's helpful. Really? You know, it's helpful to know what kind of formations they run. Are they going to use a lot of motion? Oh, yeah. Do they do they do like the Cowboys when they go to the, on the line, when they used to go up and then go down? Yeah. And, and, you know, how, what does the center do with the football? Does he mess around with the ball? And so that's why we are able to officiate stuff because we're not watching the ball. As a fan, you watch the ball. Yes. Everybody watch the TV you, watches the ball. Right. We do not watch the ball. We watch in front of the play. So we know what's what's going on. So you just know where the ball is out of your peripheral vision. I never knew whether a pass was complete or incomplete because my responsibility was to watch the quarterback. Oh, and then the other guy so down there. The other guys, the they're watching the receivers and yes, so forth. So, sure. and people would say, "Well, why didn't you? Why didn't you change that? Why didn't you tell that guy he was wrong?" I wasn't looking there. You were working on your I was, specific. I spot. was doing my responsibilities, my job. And you know, that's the thing. That's the thing we all have to understand is you have to, if you're going to be successful, you have to be able to trust the people you're in your company or whatever to do their job because I wasn't good enough to do everybody's job. You know, it's such big money. They've oh. got to have all that. Good. You've yeah. got to try to be as perfect as you can. Yeah, I mean, and it's huge money. Oh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. The, the, the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, and that's why the league is paranoid about gambling and all that kind of stuff and all the things they do with, with your background checks and and you know not wanting you to be on social media and not being involved yeah, tell in any our of that. that you can't I mean, be on social media. No. No, I think and that's interesting. You cannot you cannot go into any type of gambling establishment uh, during the season. If whether you're a player, coach, well, no, or, no, 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 or no. just the referee, the, the rules are different for players. Okay, and so coaches just and referees everything. cannot yeah, be on any we, social media. We are the integrity of the game. Mm-hmm. The really officials are. are the integrity of the game, and so so we can't go to any of those places. Now, when the season when the season is over, then you can go, but you have to tell. New York, you're going. So, for instance, in in February, if I wanted to go to Oakland mm-hmm. to the racetrack, yeah, I had to tell New York that I was going and what days I was going to be there. Wow, that's a lot of commitment. All right, this is a great place to take a break. We'll continue our conversation with Mr. Walt Coleman the third, a man with two very illustrious careers. He's Coleman Dairy Legacy, and at the time of his retirement in 2018, the longest-running NFL referee. Are you still the longest-running NFL referee, or has anybody beat you? Well, there were there were a couple of guys that had been in longer than me. Are I they- was just at the time – I was in for 30 years, but there's there's two guys who were in 31 years oh, and so forth. So, all right. Still, anyway. to, still to come, the facts, the feelings, and the business of NFL leagues, skills, egos, power, money, and I have a word association game planned for Walt. You know he loves a good game. We'll be right back. It's a special time in the history of the Dreamland Ballroom on the top floor of the Flag and Banner Building in downtown Little Rock. Special because the funds from our African-American Civil Rights Preservation Grant have almost been totally used for the elevator addition and the accessibility renovations we've made. But now is a great time to make a personal donation to this historic site 
because the family of flagandbanner.com will match every dollar you give up to $50,000. Look for their corporate matching campaign link at dreamlandballroom.org. Remember, the family of flagandbanner.com will match every dollar you give up to $50,000. Look for their corporate matching campaign link at dreamlandballroom.org. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm talking with Mr. Walt Coleman III, a Coleman Dairy descendant, but his true legacy may be his NFL career. Number 65, referee from 1989 to 2018. So, so when you retired, how old were you? 66. Is it hard to run up and down the field at 66? Yes, but for me, the most difficult thing was the mental change over the period of time mentally you're not as fast you're not as quick as you get older yeah you you don't it's just not the same really so when you're working the referee position where you've got to know the rules and you've got to react immediately and you've got to you've got that microphone where you've got to turn that thing on and you're live on television you've got to explain what's what happens and so that was you know physical physically you know um i probably could have but, but I just felt, felt like, like it was it was time. I mean, I'd been in there for 30 years. I mean, I'd done it a long time. And so I just felt so fortunate that I had the opportunity to do it that long. How and the players children? and the players that the players Is our favorite that player. Got, well, the the player that I liked the most, just because the type of player he was and the type of person he was on the field was Barry Sanders. Really? He was unbelievable running back, but he was a class person. He would never, he would never spike the ball. He would, he would get up and hand you the ball. I mean, he was just a, you know, class, but. Who'd he play for? Detroit. He was, and he retired after nine, after nine years. He, you know, he had a short career, but he was, he was number two in, in the number of yards. But, but, you know, I was, I was on the field with Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and Emmitt Smith and Barry Sanders and Troy Aikman and Brett Favre and, you know, Peyton and Eli. That brings me to our game. All right. You get to do one word because these are people that you've been on the field with. And you can only do one word to describe each of these people. And you've mentioned him a couple times, Joe Montana. Cool. He is cool. And when people would ask me who was the best quarterback that, you know, I've ever officiated – I would always say Montana until really? until until Brady'd won six Super Bowls. Oh yeah, and then you know I had to kind of start fudging. Tony Dung Dungy, how do you say his Tony name? Dungy? Um, class. John Elway. One word, huh? Um, you can do two if you want. To. Strong. Really? Yeah, he could throw the. He he's the only guy I you could I could see running to the right and throwing it. 50 yards back to the left. He said, never throw the ball, you know, back all the way across the field. Elway could. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was well, you're big one of my favorites. And strong. And, and one of my favorites, Emmett Smith. And, yeah, he was a great running back. Uh-huh. He was um, jokester. Really? Jokester. He liked to stand when he won in, he liked to stand behind you and uh, play around with you. He's you got know, that little game, grin on yeah, his face. when the game was over. You know, Walter Payton, great uh, player in the National Football League. He retired the year before I got in the league, and like my very first regular season game in the NFL was in Chicago. I had uh, Cincinnati at Chicago, my very first regular season NFL game, and uh, my shoe kept coming untied. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out what the, you know, and uh, and he was untying, and he was no. yeah, he was <laughs> hilarious. He was untying my shoe. He and he had a he had history of that as far as coming out of the piles of, and and untying people's shoes and so forth. But, <laughs> Troy but, yeah, Aikman. Um. Uh-oh, he wasn't going to say anything nice just then, was he? You know, those guys were so good and so focused. I was going to say focused, but that's the one where I would use that for, for Peyton. Um, so Peyton Manning, you would call focused. I feel sorry for him because he was such a great player for so long, but not long enough. I mean, he was such a great player, but not long enough because Tom Brady came up right behind him and knocked him off the pedestal. They were just both great quarterbacks, I know. And, and a lot of it has to do with the with the rest of your team, you know. And and so, uh, what do you think about you Belichick? But well, he and I obviously get along fine because of the Tuck rule. <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody in New England, I got along with really well. I mean, Coach Belichick and I, you know, had a good relationship. Uh-huh. I mean, you you develop, you know, me being in the league thirty years, 
I mean, I was around a long time. You remember? So, 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 any of the, so any of the coaches that were around, you know, for any period of time, I got to, you know, I got to, you know, connect with them pretty good. Because, I mean, I was the one that, that they always wanted to talk to. Sure. I mean, they could argue. You're with, pulling could, the strings. They could holler with the guys over there on the side and in front of them. But they always, they eventually, they want to talk to me. How about Brett Favre? Fun. <laughs> he just loved playing the game. How about this one? Jerry Jones. I mean, I knew Jerry. He uh, he bought the Cowboys the same year I got in the league, eighty nine. That was his. Oh. That was his first year to own the Cowboys. Oh, really? Yes. And so my first year in the league was eighty nine. So for me, even though I knew Jerry and knew him from Little Rock, and and he knew my dad, and I mean everything, when I'd have the Cowboys, I totally ignored the fight them. Yeah. Because I, 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 you know, people see things and they draw conclusions. And so you have to be very careful from my standpoint as a referee. I would never talk to any coach for very right. long, for any extent, because everybody thinks that they're, you're, they're trying to get an advantage. Uh-huh. What yeah. about Troy Aikman? He was just a really good quarterback. <laughs> you know, you know, the greatest, to me, the greatest player at a particular position was Jerry Rice. And I worked a lot of his games as far as as a receiver. Uh, but I mean, he was. What do you think about Patrick a, Mahomes a, now? I'd love watching that kid. Oh yeah, but I hate I hate working those kind of quarterbacks. Why? Because they run around. Oh, see, the referee's supposed to follow them. You're supposed to chase them. Oh, you're supposed to be with them. So, you know, so that if they get illegally hit or something. But see, yeah, he's yeah, a- and he runs around. Uh huh. <laughs> so I mean, he's he's great quarterback. He's yeah. fun. But those are the I like the guys that st- stood in one place. Like like Marino and Eli and Brady and those guys. Oh yeah, Brady doesn't move. Those guys stand in one place, mm-hmm. you know. But you take guys like Michael Vick and Steve Young and and a lot of these new guys that run around. They they make it a lot more difficult uh, from an officiating standpoint because you don't know where they're going to be and they're going to be running. And that's that's the, what the defense wants. Mm-hmm. They will get that. Oh. They want the defense. They, they want like the, that. Well, yeah, because they can kill the quarterback, and that's what they're out there for. Because I would have thought they when he's a runner, still. when he's a runner, when he's a runner, he doesn't have all the protections. They oh. think now, you know, now first got in the league, they didn't have all these protections for the quarterbacks. You know, but now you can't hit the quarterback low, can't yeah. hit him high, can't you know hit him late, can't hit him with your helmet. Uh, I mean, they've put in a lot of rules to protect the quarterback because when your starting quarterback goes down, the game deteriorates in a hurry. I tell people it's like a car right. wreck on every play. It yeah, absolutely is. I mean, they're is. running these big guys, big, huge guys running into each other on every, and, every and play. And leaping into the air so vulnerable to grab a ball and then just getting hit and thrown to the ground. I'm like, yeah, I don't it's, know how um, to do it. Uh, I think I already know the answer to this, but. Is it passion for the game or the money that makes a person want to do that job for so long? NFL. Is it passion? Oh, it's the, yeah, it's the passion. It's the passion for the game. I mean, what it takes to get there. I mean, I've got to be honest. Um, the money uh, became somewhat significant after I had been in the league a long time. When I first got in, it was $600 a game, 15 games, $9,000. Oh my gosh! I it's wouldn't what, do it for that. It's what I'm. It's what I made to travel. You know, all over the United States. Now they, you know, they paid for your travel and all that. Uh-huh. But I mean, that's what I. But that's what I got. So I mean, it became you know much more lucrative over that. For so the players so you and everybody. Yeah. So you don't get involved with all that. You know, for the money. It be, it became nice, but you know, it was it was the passion. It's it's being involved. I mean, at some point, you get to where you can't play. You can't play anymore. And this was a way for officiating was a way for me to stay involved in sports and athletics and being out there on that field and getting that same feeling of being involved. Plus, you know, you're, you're, you're helping, at least at the high school and college level. I mean, you're, you're helping people do what they've dreamed to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, the greatest thing in the world is on a Friday night that those high school kids getting to go out there and, and, and do that and play football. I mean, there's, and so th- that's why, you know, there's a shortage of officials, you know, and there we, is. oh yes. I mean, Cause who wants to do that? I mean, who wants to, you know, drive Work seven days a week, who, who wants to drive, you know, for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour or so forth for, 
$60 and be abused for three hours. <laughs> I, I mean, you it's know, the love of the game. It's the passion. Y- yes. And so, um, but the, the being involved, being involved for me was the big thing and, and nothing. I mean, and I've worked some huge, huge, you know, football games in my lifetime, but nothing gave me more happiness than it was working a Friday night football game with those kids out there because I just remember what it was like when I was playing high school football and how important it was and what you know what it meant as far as to be able to to be able to do that mm-hmm. so you watch uh, a lot of games now that you're retired um yeah because I like football you watch it all the time I mean you know to, foot, football to me is you know it's the do you rewatch games I know. My husband does. No. He rewatches games all the time. Really? You know, yes. Now, on his phone. Now, wow. I do drive my wife crazy by going backwards, you know, during the game and go back and watch <laughs> plays and you get behind, you know. Well, I like that. So then you can forth. skip the commercials. So, so anyway, but, but yeah. So, uh, so I, I have watched a lot more, uh, football in the past and even last year than I will this year because my son was in the NFL. What? My son was in the NFL for, for eight seasons, but he decided after last season that he wanted he didn't want to be away. What position? He was a line judge for eight years. I mean, he worked uh, two playoff games, but he he didn't want to be away from. He's got a boy nine and one seven, and they play they live in Texas and they play hockey, and their hockey games are on Sundays. And last year they they played forty eight hockey games, and he saw two. Oh, and he decided that. That his it was his boys were more important yeah. than being involved. There's in, that little window in, of opportunity. They're that, only home for a little while. That's exactly. He could probably right. go back. So anyway, so I watched a lot because I watched all his games. I mean, I, obviously, I watched every one of his games. I had to critique him. <laughs> well, sure, because he critiqued me. You know, his whole yeah. life. Yeah, sure, you did. So, <laughs> so I had to critique him. So. All right, here's your gift, parting gift. Thank you, Walt. I've enjoyed oh, it. You wow. get a desk set for your a U.S. and Arkansas flag for your desk, and we're going to get your flagpole out there at Coleman Dairy. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. drive by and look at it and see where yeah. we can put it. Uh, to our listeners, I want to thank you in closing for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, email me, gray, at gray at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream. (laughs) 